All right, welcome to church. Um, how many of you guys, let's be honest, how many of you guys have 100% perfect relationships? Anybody? Okay, let me, let me clarify that. Like you're not mad at anybody and there's nobody who's mad at you. You're not jealous of anybody and nobody's jealous of you. You guys? Okay. After service, you and Garrett? No, there's probably something in there. That's true. And that probably rubs him the wrong way. That probably makes him mad. Maybe he doesn't want to share. It's great. Okay. But if, if that's true, you guys are going to have to share your secrets with me because I don't think anybody has a very perfect relationship like that. All of us have broken relationships of some sort because of sin living inside of us. Like there's something inside of us that is inherently broken and the people who are in around us also have something inside of them that's also broken. So I think it's almost impossible for everybody to have a complete um, relationship with them. Hey, Joe, if you can just go back to the main slide, that'd be great. You're fine. Um, all of us have broken relationships. And so naturally, there's going to be times where we dislike others. There's going to be times where we're jealous or envy of somebody, what they have. There's going to be times where we hate somebody or somebody hates us. Uh, there's going to be times like that. Um, there's going to be times that we hurt people. And maybe we don't mean to. Okay, we're going through all the slides. That's all right. Um, but that is not the way that God designed us. And that is not the way that Christians should live. Like whenever we see that there's two people arguing, that we see that there's people who are making each other so mad or there, there's envy, there's jealousy, people are starting to hate each other. Whenever I outburst of anger, all those kind of things, whenever we see that, sometimes it's natural, sometimes it's good, but there's something inside of us that should say that is not exactly how it should be. And Paul, he would say the same thing. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 through 6. If you have your Bibles, you can go ahead and turn there with us. Um, if you don't, it is on the screen. He says, Therefore, I, Paul, the prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk worthy of your calling that you have received, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of it all, who is above all and through all and in all. So now in this part of the, the book of Ephesians, we're getting into the imperatives. So this is kind of like the now what's or like do this and not this or, or like so what. So like the first three chapters of Ephesians, it was all about Jesus. This is what Jesus did. This is your new identity in Jesus. And now Paul is getting, okay, with all that said, this is what you should do with it. And that's why he said, therefore. And that's kind of a, a funny little not funny, it's kind of cheesy little preacher joke. Like when you see a therefore in the Bible, you should go back and see what it's there for. Get it? Yeah. All right, I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> That's my favorite saying now. No, I'm just kidding. Exactly. When you see a therefore, you should go back and see what it's there for. Get it? Okay. So Paul, he says all this great, 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 great stuff. And he says, therefore, live worthy of 
your calling. So you can go back, and if you want to know exactly all that Paul said, and you listen to the last eight episodes of the podcast and get in depth of what it says. But basically, the first half of Ephesians is establishing our new identity in Christ. So in Christ, which we know that to be in Christ, it is to believe and to live like Jesus in a world that is not believing and living like Jesus. That's what it means to be in Christ. And so Paul, in the first three chapters, he says, in Christ or in him, it means that we are blessed. And I got a whole list for y'all. It means that we're blessed. It means that we're chosen. It means that we are blameless. It means that we are predestined. It means we are adopted as sons and daughters. It means that we are forgiven, that we are redeemed. It means that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. It means that we used to be dead in our sins, but now we are alive. We are saved by grace. We used to have no purpose, but now we actually have purpose. Now we are brought near to God. We used to be far away, but now we are brought near. We can have peace with God when we used to be God's enemies. We can come to God with boldness and confidence And we can come and we can pray to God who is all-powerful and who is all-loving. And he will answer with unimaginable power. Paul, this is what the first three chapters are about. All these things are yours when you accept Jesus, when you believe in him. And it's by his grace that you are saved. All of these things now become your identity. Now you are blessed. Now you are redeemed. Now you are chosen. And because of all these things, therefore, live worthy of your calling. This is your calling in your life. It's to live worthy of your calling. And if that sounds redundant, that's because that's the way that Paul actually wrote it. Paul literally writes, walk worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Uh, The calling of God is inescapable. Like God has a a specific calling and purpose for every single one of us. For for me, like I felt a calling whenever I was in high school. My calling was to be a pastor or some kind of communicator of the gospel. But for some of you, your calling it might be to be a police officer or a dentist or um, a songwriter or to be a teacher or to be a mechanic or to be own your own business or to be a lawyer or to be an assistant. All of us have specific callings that God is calling us to be a part of, but God has an overarching calling for every single one of us, and that is to have a relationship with him through Jesus, and through that relationship, it is to be blessed by him. All of us have specific callings, but all of us have this same calling, which is to have a relationship with God through Jesus, and that's the calling that Paul is talking about. He says, because you've been called to relationship with God, because you've been called to relationship with him, this is your calling to live worthy of that, to live worthy. And so verses 2 and 3 tell us how to walk worthy of our calling. We've been called to have a relationship with God, so here's how we walk worthy of that. It says, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So God, he's calling for our, our lives not to have, or God's calling for our lives is not just to have a private relationship with him, but to also have a life of community with other believers. So Christianity, it was never actually meant to just to be a personal matter. Like whenever you accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior. It's never meant to just be a relationship between you and God, and that's it. Like, the phrase, and this is actually going to throw a lot of you off, maybe even some of the adults, the phrase, accept Jesus as your Lord, or your, as your personal Lord and Savior, that's actually nowhere in the Bible. 
That's not in the New Testament, to accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. Instead, every time it talks about Jesus, every time it talks about him, it always refers to him as our Lord and our Savior, never just as my Jesus or my Savior or your Jesus. It's always our Lord and our Savior. It's always a community. That means Christianity, it's never meant to be a personal relationship, but a community relationship. So your vertical relationship between you and God is just as important as horizontal relationships. To just have a vertical relationship with, with you and God and not one with other believers is to actually not have a personal relationship with God at all because of what God tells us to do with that vertical relationship. You guys know what I mean by vertical and horizontal? A bubble. It should be a bubble. Yeah, it's everything, right? It's not just... Your geometry is throwing me off. It really is. That is going way far. Living worthy of your calling is directly related to how you treat others. That's what Paul is talking about here. He says, because of all this, because you've been chosen, because you've been saved, because you have been forgiven by grace, walk worthy of that. In the way that we are called or the way that we are chosen, it always is directly related to how we treat others. You can tell the relationship with Jesus by how you treat others well. And because of that, Paul, he lists a bunch of antidotes um, to some dangerous sins that hurt relationships. So Paul, he doesn't just say, don't do this, don't do this. He says, these are the answers to everything that is wrong. Um, and so when it comes to relationships, when it comes to trying to live a life of unity or life in a community, when it comes to living life with others, there's nothing more dangerous than pride and arrogance. Pride is, is something that's inside all of us. It's, it's something that we all have in, in some way or another because pride is a root of a lot of other sins. Uh, so that's why Paul says that we need to have humility and gentleness and humility and being humble is actually the opposite of pride. Pride is simply this thinking about yourself too much or thinking that you're better than other than you really are. Like that's two ways. Like pride, we know when somebody is prideful or boastful. Like, oh, did you see what I did? Did you see um, all these things? Like I'm the best. Like you should pick me, all that kind of stuff. But pride is also kind of subtle in that it's just thinking of yourself too much. Sometimes it's thinking too well of yourself, but most of the time it's just thinking too much of yourself. Like you're just thinking of yourself too much. It's being self-centered. It's what are people thinking about me? What are they saying? And so humility is the opposite. So humility, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility is not just thinking, oh, I'm just so terrible. No one would ever love me. No one ever choose me. I'm just, I'm worthless. I, I, I'm, I'm no good. That's not humility. That's also pride in a different way. Uh, humility is just thinking of yourself less. It's being less focused on you, on what people are saying or what people are doing, and it's being more outward focused. And that's, so that's the difference between pride and humility. Pride is just thinking of yourself too much. Humility is just thinking of yourself less so that you can think about God and think about others. And then he says we also need to have gentleness. Gentleness, um, in some ways it's uh, translated as meekness. A lot of people think that's the same thing as being weak. But being gentle is not the same thing as being weak. True gentleness looks like self-control. Gentleness, and I found this in one of the commentaries, um, this is my favorite definition. Gentleness is power that is under control. 
It's somebody who has power, but it's under control. You think about a horse. A horse by itself is powerful, and it's also dangerous. But whenever you put a horse underneath, um, I don't even, I'm going to make horse people really mad. Whatever the thing is that goes through their mouth and you can control them, a rein and, and a bit. There you go. I got Kaylee. You put a bit in their mouth. The horse is n- not weak, but it's gentle now because you can control it. So it's power that is under control. So Paul, he says, the opposite of pride, or we don't need to live in pride. Instead, we need to have humility and gentleness. Yes, we have power, but it needs to be under control. We need to think about ourselves less. It's in the middle, like being gentle is being in the middle of somebody who's angry all the time and somebody who's never angry at all. If we are controlled by God, then we'll be angry at the right times for the right reasons, but we will never be angry for the wrong reasons. And all, a lot of us, we fall into definitely the latter, especially me sometimes. Um, and actually, the, at the end of chapter 4 of Ephesians actually talks a lot about anger because it's a problem that a lot of people deal with. And so Paul, he's going to specifically talk about that later. Um, and so anger is something that can cause relationships to go sideways. And so Paul, he says, the antidote to anger is patience. And we see that in the actual word for patience in the Greek. So the word for Greek or the word for patience in the Greek, um, it actually has the word anger in it. And it's a compound word built on the word anger, rage. And it has, also has the adjective for a long time. So the word for patience literally means to be slow to anger. So Paul, he says we need to have humility and gentleness and then to be slow to anger. And so Paul, he talks about patience a lot, but it's because God in the Old Testament was always referring to himself as loving and, and, and slow to anger and abounding in love. That's how God describes himself as somebody who's patient with us. And Paul, he talks about how important it is for patience, and he even lists it as the fruit of the Spirit. And so it's only whenever we have humility and gentleness and patience that we can really be or really have unity as Christians. So oneness with each other as Christians is important because God is one. So we're going to get into some other reasons, like why is it important to even have to be have unity in the first place? Why is it important that we get along? Why is it important that we have um, unity in all this? The first reason is because God is one. This is what Paul, he talks about. In verse 4, he says, There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called to the hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. So Paul, he's saying this is important because God is one. Therefore, we should also all be one. We're all on the same team. And this is evident by the one hope that we have and that we all have the exact same hope. No matter if we agree with each other right now, we all are going to the same place. We have the same hope and that is eternal life and that is heaven. And that is important because that's actually what Paul prayed for us in the first chapter. In in chapter 1, verse 18, he says, I pray that your eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope of your calling. So Paul, even back there, he's praying, know the hope of your calling. Because whenever we realize that we are all on the same team, that we're all going to the same place, that will help us realize that we are going or we need to be united in this. And that hope that we have the hope that we're called to, the hope that we're supposed to be um, connecting with each other with is that God is with us right now 
Like today, right now, if we need God, God is with us. He will help us. We can have assurance that no matter what we're going through, God is going to be with us. And the hope is for this life after this. We can have hope because God will one day stop all the things that are causing us to fear and causing us pains. And one day God is going to bring all of us into his kingdom. And so that is the hope that we're called to. And that is the hope that we're all supposed to be connecting with each other with. Is that God is for us equally. Just because you've been a Christian one day or a Christian for 10 years doesn't mean God is going to be with you any more or any less. God is with every single one of us right now as a present help. But there's also going to be one day where God's going to stop all the pain. He's going to bring us into eternal life and paradise. We used to be without hope. Paul writes in, in chapter 2, we used to be without hope. We used to be dead in our sins. We had no hope that there was a God who loved us and who looked out for us. We had no hope for eternal life after this. But now when we accept Jesus, we have a great hope. We can have such a great hope because, Paul, he says, God is above all. And God is through all. And God is in all. So here, Paul, he's expressing the sovereignty of God, just how, how far and how wide God actually is. And this is kind of what, he's going off of what David wrote in Psalm 139. And I did not plan to put those two together when I read that earlier. But this is basically what Paul is saying. He says, Paul, or God is in all. He's through all. And he is in all. That means that God is, um, he's over everything. There's nowhere you can go to escape him. God is in control. And so above all means that there's no one who has a higher rank than God. Like there's no one who's going to be able to tell God what to do. To say, no, you can't save them. No, you can't bring them in. No, you can't show them grace and mercy. There's nobody who can tell God what to do. God is above all. And then through all means that God is all powerful. That he has the abilities to create galaxies or he has the abilities to destroy galaxies. God is the only one who has the ability to create life and to take life. God is above all, and he is through all. Everything is made and created and sustained through God. And then he is in all, which means he is everywhere. That There's nowhere we can go to escape God. There's nowhere that we can go that God is not. So my question is, why is Paul going off about how great God is in this chapter about unity and about being humble and gentle and patient? It's because the Gentiles in Ephesus, they used to worship false gods. Like they literally had temples and statues built of, of things they thought were God. And so they worshiped them because they thought they had power and authority over certain things. They worshiped Artemis, Sapphires, and Isis. And these false gods, they thought they had power in space. They thought they had power over things on the earth. And then they thought they had powers and things in the underworld. And so in our world today, we don't worship gods like this. Like we don't just go to the local Walmart and buy a statue and say, you are my God now. We don't worship things like that. Like, that's kind of weird. But we do worship false gods in different ways. In America, we worship things or those that have power and authority or money. Like, think about it. Like, if somebody who has authority or who has a lot of money or somebody who has a lot of talent, whenever they say something or, or do something, we're usually somebody, like, we usually worship those kind of people. You might be thinking, I don't, I don't worship anything. Sure you do. Worship is giving worth to something. Like anything that you give your time or your attention to, anything you give your money to, anything you let have authority over your life is something that you worship. It's not just singing praise and worship. It's not just singing songs. 
It's giving your attention and time to. And so whenever we think of somebody who has a lot of power or a lot of money or a lot of talent, we give more attention to those people. And so it's like a president that we agree with because sometimes there's not and sometimes there's a president that we really agree with. Or somebody who's a billionaire or somebody who has a lot of talent and we call them the goat. Whenever they say something, we usually listen up to what they're actually saying. And if we don't worship them for their power, then we worship the thing that brings them power because we secretly want those things too. Like whenever we think, oh, how'd this person get so great? How'd they get so high up? How'd they get so noticed? We think about those things. I'm like, how can I get those things? But secretly there's something inside of us that wants that, that desire of, of being noticed or somebody to give us attention. No one, no one hopes in being average. Like when we think about our hopes, it's always to be somebody that's great. It's always to be able to make a difference. It's always to be somebody that somebody looks up to. Like when we think about what, has, what are people going to say to us at the end of our life, we want to be able to say that we did something. And that's not bad. That's, that's a good thing. God put that inside of us to make a difference for eternity. But a lot of times we look to things in the wrong way. Nobody hopes in just being average. We all want to be looked up to. And be somebody that we're great. And so Paul, he's saying, focus on what's really important here. Because if we are all wanting to be great, if we're all wanting to be the somebody who's in charge, if we're all wanting to be, have money and power, then we're going to do whatever it takes to get there. And so we're not going to be unified. We're not going to be humble. We're not going to be gentle. We're not going to be patient. Instead, we're going to do whatever we can so that we can get the thing that we want. And so the Ephesians, they knew this. And so they worshiped these things in literal ways. But Paul, he's speaking to us in our heart, and he says, no. There's real powers found in, in God alone. In God alone, there's true hope. In God alone, you can be made alive. And so we need to focus on this, that we don't need to strive to be somebody who's super great. We don't need to strive to be the most important person in the room. And so we need to strive to know Jesus better, to be more like him. And in that, we can find humility. In that, we can find patience. And in that, we can be... Uh, gentle, and in that we can have unity, and in that we can change the world. You don't change the world by being the best. You don't change the world by being the greatest. Because if you're always trying to be the greatest, if you're always trying to be the best, that means you're stepping on somebody else. You become the best. You become the greatest. You make a difference in the world by being unified with the person next to you as a team Making a difference for eternity. That is the only way that we'd make it a true difference. Because if you're just trying to be the best, then you're doing it for your own glory. And so whenever you die, your own glory fades, your own glory dies. But when you do it for the glory of God, when you do it for eternal, eternal difference, that's whenever things last. The band will go ahead and come back. In living a life worthy of God's calling, it looks very specific. When we think about the calling of God, it is very specific. It means be, being united as one people. It means cultivating humility and gentleness and patience and tolerance and, and love and peace. But if we're going to cultivate those things, then we need to ask God to take a deeper look inside of us to get rid of the things that aren't supposed to be there. If we're quick to get angry then we need to work on patience. If we're always proud or arrogant or always thinking about ourselves, then we need to work on humility. If we're insensitive 
or we're rough or we're bossy or we're always trying to impose our will on others, then we need to work on gentleness. If we find it hard to deal with people who have shortcomings, who are always disappointing, who are not always fulfilling what we expect them to, then we need to work on bearing with one another in love. And if unity with our friends or smart groups is not a priority, then we need to make it a priority. And this is what Jesus did. Jesus, on the night that he died, he was praying to God about us being one, as us being one people. And, and, and he talks about how he is one with God. Jesus is our example of what true unity looks like. Think about Jesus, the Father, and the Holy Spirit, the Trinity. Not one of them was trying to be better than the other. Instead, every single member of the Trinity, is their purpose is to serve and glorify the other in the Trinity. I know the Trinity, that's not the topic of the night. That's confusing. But this is what he prays in John 17. He says, Jesus spoke these things, and he looked up to heaven. He said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son so that your son may glorify you, since you gave him authority over all people, so that he may give eternal life to everyone you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. So he's saying, like, me and you, God, we're one. And then he prays on later. He says, may they all be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in them. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. He said, this is more important than, this is more important than what we're leading on to. He says, God, me and you are one. So God, I pray that you show them that so that they can have eternal life. And what is eternal life? It's to know you. It's to know me through me. He says, may they be one so that everyone who looks at them will know that what you have said is true, that they may believe that you sent me. So tonight, 